Does this mean it's over? Does this mean he likes me? Are butterflies good? Am I ever gonna meet someone? I'm tired of swiping. Am, Am I, I normal? normal? So many times people have this internal voice for themselves, just so much harsher. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've seen me on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers, and welcome to another introspective episode of Dates and Mates. Have you ever found yourself pondering the twists and turns of your love life, wondering if you're on the right path or if there's even a map or a path to begin with? Perhaps you're at a crossroads, questioning whether you're truly in sync with your heart's desires. Well, as I've been walking my current cohort of the Dates and Mates Method through the program and through the five dating loops and along this journey, I've been hearing just how overwhelming it can feel to unravel the answers to these questions, to design a new roadmap for your love life all at once. The word of the week that I'm giving you is the very same one that I remind my class of every week. It's also the very same word that I chose during the Jewish High Holidays as my value to define my year. Our word of the week is simplicity. I have found over the last few weeks that when I've been tempted to spiral into overwhelm, reminding myself of this simple word, simplicity, helps me remember that I only need to focus on the one thing ahead of me in that moment. I can choose to simplify a problem to its essence and take a simple action to get unstuck without trying to do everything at the same time. Our guest today has done some of the heavy lifting for you. He's looked at the questions that have come up for his readers and clients, and he's hand-carved a simple path to help you on your love journey. And he's a bit of a legend around here. Dr. Victor Frank, formerly known as Dr. Ali Benazir. Dr. Victor Frank is a happiness engineer and behavioral change specialist who has written about love and happiness since 2005. And he's got the credentials to prove it. He has a bachelor's degree from Harvard College, an MD from the UC San Diego School of Medicine, and, and a master's in philosophy from Cambridge University. And that's not all. He's given three TEDx talks by invitation, and he is the creator of the online course Super Charisma, How to Be a Transformative Speaker, which was the highest rated public speaking course on Udemy. His book, The Tao of Dating, was the highest rated dating book on Amazon for eight years. And his newest book, The Five Hidden Love Questions, Radically Simple Strategies to Date Smarter, Own Your Power, and Flourish, is out now. And I'm so excited to talk to him about that book today. Please welcome him in with big smooches. It's our longtime friend of the show, Dr. Victor Frank. It's been a minute. If minutes Welcome were back. measured in decades. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and checked my records and you were originally on the show. I think you were my third guest ever on the show. Wow. And yeah. And it was even before we were officially a podcast. It was when we were still like a streaming radio show. So you were on as Dr. Ali, your prior pen name. Yeah. You were on July of 20. 12. That makes sense. It was right before I was about to move to San Francisco. So uh, uh, you caught my last bit of residency in LA. And guess what? I'm back. You're back and you're in action and you got a new book. 
So I'm so excited. I'm really thrilled to talk to you about this book because you are a prolific writer. Some folks here may know your first book, Tao of Dating, which was on the Amazon bestseller list for what, like eight years? I wish that were uh, exactly how things unfold. It was the highest rated dating book on, on Amazon for eight years. So, you know, 4.5 or above. And uh, so quality is nice. Quantity is even nicer. So let's hope this one can also be on that bestseller list. Oh, it will be. It will be. Because now we're talking about the five hidden love questions, radically simple strategies to date smarter, own your power, and flourish. Flourish. I love it. I I love that word. It's a great word. I, I often talk on the show about using passion words. And flourish is one of those passion words that we we don't use enough. So thank you for bringing it back to the lexicon. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I, I bill myself as a happiness engineer. So a lot of this book is about arranging your dating your love life towards happiness like that's the ultimate goal uh so that's why we put the word flourish in there as a last last bit of the subtitle oh i love that i love that i'm all about spreading happiness as well but of course we do it in different ways i'm curious first of all just where you got the idea for this book what was the origin of the five hidden love question so over the years, I got a bunch of letters from my readers, give or take 5,000 of them. And when you get that many letters, after a while, you start to notice patterns, as in, it's the same letter every time, basically. And all of them converged on these five topics, I felt. So for example, you know, somebody says, hey, Dr. Victor, I went out with this guy. We had a great time. You know, We made out at the end of the date. It's been three days. He hasn't texted or called. What's going on, right? Or somebody says, hey, um, yeah, I've been going out with my boyfriend for six months. We haven't gotten on in a couple of weeks. What's going on? And all these questions, they come down to something on, along the lines of, am I enough, right? Am I cool enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I desirable enough? Am I enough enough, right? Whereas if the orientation was, no, no, I am totally enough. The question would be something along the lines of, what the hell is wrong with these losers? Don't they see what they're missing out on? So, but that's usually not the question. The question is, hey, what am I doing wrong? So am I enough is one of those questions. And uh, I guess this is as good a time as any to go through the other questions as well. So uh, the five hidden love questions are, am I enough? Am I the buyer or the seller? Am I safe physically and psychologically? Number four is, what do I really want? And number five is, who am I really? And each of these questions kind of hit a deeper and deeper aspect of, of who we are in the operating system of our, of our lives. Like, how do we move in this world? Who, what do we stand for? Who are we really? So uh, that's kind of where the book came from. And I, I felt like I couldn't just rehash what I said in the Dial of Dating, the Smart Ones Guide being absolutely irresistible. They already heard that. But what could I say that would be relevant today and remain relevant 10, 20, 30 years from now? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you're also making them radically simple yes. strategies because all those questions, while they are simple, you were able to run through them in just a few seconds. The discovery of the answers to those questions is, as you said, a very deep dive. And I love how I, I often design in my programs and when I'm coaching people, I, I kind of design a ladder because I do feel like a, the questions, like you can't start with 
you can't start with who am I really? Mm, you kind of no. have to start at the at the beginning. What s- suggestions do you have for anyone listening, other than, of course, buying the book, The Five Hidden right. Questions? Where can we start with that, am I enough? Yes, that's a great one. So, so here's the thing. The am I enough problem is pretty sneaky because it's always in the background running our lives. As are the other questions. I think of those little gremlins trying to muck things up. And would you not want to know who these gremlins are? And would you not want to know how to deal with them? So the first step is to identify that, hey, this am I enough thing is there. And second, the big insight I had after working on this book for a while was, oh, it's never going away. This is part of our evolutionary history as primates. We are hierarchical creatures. We're always looking at who's up, who's down, where am I? You know, am I chimp number four from the top? Am I number three from the bottom? What's going on here? And even though we live in societies in which explicit rank like that doesn't seem to be as much emphasized or in your face, it's still happening. That's part of our biology. If anybody here, of course, nobody who's listening to this will, will ever feel this way, but somebody out there, they hear like their friend really succeeded and did really well. You got this little sinking feeling. That's rank. That's the am I enough operating in the background. And we would rather it not be that way, but it's not going away. So what do you do if it's not going to go away? What if, what if this is part of our evolutionary past and it's always going to be operating? Well, here's the thing. Your brain can only really answer one question at a time. Um, and you can only focus inwards or outwards, not both. So one of the remedies I propose is to change the question entirely and just stop playing that game. And the question you want to be answering instead is, how can I be the light? How can I be of service in this moment? How can I make this moment even better than it is right now for everybody around me? Because once you go into that orientation of how can I be the light, then you're not thinking about you anymore and how you're being perceived. Rather, you're thinking, hey, how can I serve the world? How can I make the world awesome? How can I give my gift? Um, And a bunch of things happen when you do that. First thing is, as you are making other people feel great, as you are being the light, they light up. When they light up, you light up too, because we're just such super social creatures and so connected to each other that you feel it. And when you light up, people notice and they want to be around you. So you've solved the not feeling great problem. You solved the loneliness problem. It's just like, uh, it just solves all the problems all at once. The key thing is to make it a habit uh, because the habit of am I enough is one that's been around since we were born. Uh, so you just have to reorient yourself towards, hey, how do I get into this idea of I am the light all the time? And so much of Buddhist practice, Taoist practice is about this. So much of meditation, the whole end goal is to not get rid of the ego, but kind of, you know, retire it, put it to the side and say, hey, yo, you go do your thing. We're going to do this other thing now. Um, so that's the whole idea of the, the bodhisattva, if you've heard that term, but the idea that he, you know, we're here to serve one another and help each other in our spiritual growth and uh, and flourishing. Mind blown. I could literally just listen to you talk about this stuff all, all day. I'm like, go on, go on. But I am hosting the show. So what you said struck a chord with me, Dr. Victor, because uh, I had a moment like that yesterday, but I found out 
someone I know got an opportunity that I didn't get. Oh, wow. And my first instinct, I know, hard to believe, right? But my first instinct was, why, why am I not enough? Why her? Why not me? <laughs> and what I did in that moment, I, I'm going to take back what you, what you just said, and I'm going to work on that and practice it. Because I also think a lot of these, a lot of these, thought processes and these sort of um, biologically ingrained uh, manifestations of the ego. That It's our knee-jerk reaction, right? And then we have to practice what you were saying. We have to practice an alternative way of operating to be able to elevate ourselves, you know, to get to the next level where we can move past it. You can't just be like, well, I don't want to feel this way. And so yeah. uh, I'll just not feel this way. You actually have to walk through it. So what I did in that moment, I allowed myself to see it, to see the ego. And and then I did something sort of different. I'm going to try the light thing. But I, I did something different. And I'm really interested in this idea of oneness. And I, I do this with my clients, too. Because sometimes people take on almost an adversarial relationship with their dates even where it's like what are you going to be are you going to be my husband or are you going to be you know a piece of crap <laughs> and sometimes we don't leave a lot of room in between and we don't uh pursue that idea of we are both coming to the table with a similar goal and it sounds like from what you just said that goal is really to be reminded that we are enough. So instead of seeing it as like an her or me, I said, this is this is like I'm gonna go very, you know, very Eastern philosophy. I said, she is me. We are the same. And therefore, more for her means more for ah, me, means more for the yeah. greater good. And I have to I have to see us on the same team. Yes. Because ultimately we are, all of us doing this work, we are on the same team and we have different clients and we have different platforms and different strategies. But aren't we all just trying to elevate everyone's vibration to to bring in the love that is our birthright? Absolutely. I mean, you've, you've nailed it on the head. And uh, this brings me to another one of the remedies. So I call these antidotes. For this particular question, I have four antidotes and we gave number one. Number two is... Uh, to exercise self-compassion instead of self-judgment. So at that moment, when we are feeling not so kind about our friend's success, you're like, oh, I'm such an awful person. I mean, this is my friend. She did so well. I should be happy for her. I'm not, oh, you terrible human being, right? And at that moment, you just kind of hit pause and you go, oh, wait, this is an opportunity to exercise self-compassion. And what is self-compassion but just recognizing that one, you are a human like everybody else, and there are millions of other people who are in the same boat. So recognizing common humanity. And this is the work of uh, Professor Kristen Neff uh, from UT Austin. It's great stuff. She's written two books. Um, I think her newest one came out. It's like something called like super self-compassion, something like that. Um, but yeah, go to selfcompassion.org. All her stuff is there. So number one is common humanity, recognizing that everybody else is going through a similar experience at some point, right? And even right now, there's probably a couple million people having that same experience. Um, number two is uh, self-kindness instead of self-judgment. And the idea is, hey, if this were your eight-year-old self doing this, would you say, 
You terrible thing, you need to be expelled from the human race. Or would you say, oh, wow, okay, well, I see what you did there. And, you know, you dropped the vase, you broke it, and let's clean it up, and let's make sure you don't swing your Nerf bat um, through the house next time, right? But the idea is you just exercise that self-kindness that you would extend to your own eight-year-old self or your eight-year-old niece or your own kid uh, that so many times people have this internal voice for themselves just so much harsher than the voice they have for the rest of the world. Um, and there's a thir third aspect of self-compassion, which is mindfulness. And mindfulness just means in this case, feeling fully what you're feeling instead of like shoving it under the rug or ignoring it saying this didn't happen or really blowing up and trying to react to it. You just kind of say, Ooh, I felt that frustration. I felt that anger. I felt like when that guy cut me off on the road, I wanted to wring his neck and that's okay. The feeling itself is normal, right? And all feelings eventually pass. Uh, but when you're mindful about it, it allows, it allows you to integrate it into your, your whole mind, everything else working together. Instead of uh, divorcing uh, yourself from that feeling, you're actually allowing yourself to feel it fully and acknowledge your humanity. Uh, so those three steps, and that makes a big difference. And as you said, these are simple, but not necessarily easy. Because if you've had the, uh, the other habit, if you've had the other habit of for decades, kind of judging yourself and being mean to yourself, then this is going to be novel and exciting. And it may take some practice to make this the new habit. It is important, as you say, too, to just feel your feelings and to be aware of them. Because I, I find that sometimes just to get through, we yes. stuff it, we stuff it, we stuff it all down. And then we're like, why is why am I not meeting anyone who's who's at my level? Why am I not, why am I so disappointed with dating? But it is, it is that self-discovery of even asking what, am I enough? And like, what do you, what do you need? Okay. There is so much more for us to get into. I need to take a quick ad break, but please stick around with me, Dr. Victor, because I have so many more questions right after this. I'll be right here. All right, Dr. Victor, we have asked and answered some of these questions, but we're just getting started. There are more questions to be asked, right? More questions coming up. I'm really curious about the second question. Am I the buyer or the seller? Yeah, that's the one that everybody seems to uh, have a hard time wrapping their head around. So, and I have my own hypothesis. Uh, I've done the seminar in LA many times. People are like, oh, what is, what is this all about? Um, and the idea is that, look, in any kind of one-on-one -on -one interaction, one person is going to have the upper hand and the other one is going to be kind of following, right? So if you're in a job interview, for example, it's pretty clear who has the upper hand, the interviewer, you give them the resume and um, they kind of look at it. Maybe they like you, maybe they don't. You're kind of responding to them and you're hoping for the best, right? Um, but there's also socially ambiguous situations. So if you're on a date, Who's buying and who's selling, right? If you go into a store and you're trying to, you know, if you have money in your pocket and you want to buy a, a phone or a car or something, then clearly you're the buyer. Clearly you have all the power and you dictate the terms of what happens. If you don't like it, you walk away. But on a date, it's not really clear. We got a socially ambiguous situation. So what I'm trying to convey to people is that in these socially ambiguous situations, you will do a lot better if you assume the position of the buyer. And so many people, their default setting is that of the seller. So for example, if you put up an 
online advertisement for yourself known as a profile, then you're saying, hey, look at me, I'm pretty, I'm cool, I can cook, you should hang out with me, it's gonna be great, right? So that's selling, right? And they're like, mm, no, or, or yes, right? And then the selling continues. Whereas you could instead go, oh, well, you know, you seem interesting, what do you have going for you, right? Be the interviewer, because then you're the buyer, and this is game theory. When you're in the position of the buyer, you just have all the power. It's like being the house in blackjack. You, If you have a choice of being the house, be the house. Um, when it comes to dating, be the buyer. Be the one who's gently being very discerning. It's very easy to lapse into being a jerk about it. And that's not the point. The point of every date really is to gather accurate information about whether you two are a good fit. And the way you do that is by being the person who's directing the flow, asking the right questions, which means that you may have to do some prep beforehand and have those questions ready. Know what you're going to ask. And people say, oh, that takes all the romance out of it. That's not spontaneous. That's not fun. And I'm like, yo, dude, the number one most important decision you're going to make in your life is who is going to be your life partner, right? Why would you leave that to chance? Whereas, you know, you prepare for days for a job interview or, you know, a grad school interview. This, you're like, no, no, I'm just going to wing this because otherwise romance gets ruined. No, no, no. This is the most important thing. So. Uh, I encourage people to have questions ready. I have sample questions, you know, they can, they can use those if they want, but the idea is you want to get the information that matters uh, when it matters. So you can make a good decision. And at the same time, when you do that, you're being discerning. And here's the crazy thing. When you're the one directing the conversation, when you're the one being the discerning buyer actually makes you more attractive because dominance is naturally attractive. And if you're asking the questions, you're the one running the show. It just makes you more interesting naturally. So all these things tie together, making the buyer thing a good thing. It's making sense to me now. And it's interesting. I say the exact same thing, Dr. Victor. I say that this is the most important decision you're going to make. And it's interesting because this theme actually just recently came up in my group coaching program. And and the women I was working with were talking about feeling like they go on a date and they automatically, I mean, they didn't use this terminology, but they automatically kind of revert to some of our people pleasing female programming of like, well, I want him to like me when I don't even know if I like mm. him yet, but we want, and I, this, and this is why I love how each of your questions build. Then it goes back to, yeah. well, am I enough? Am I enough? If he doesn't l respond to me, if he doesn't like me, am I enough? Because as you're saying, if I am the, if I am the buyer here, it it doesn't matter necessarily that he likes me. I mean, obviously it's a two way street, right? And I think the reality is it's a negotiation, and people are both buying and both selling. But this is an attitude that you bring into it, and it fixes another problem that I hear people asking about right now in dating and you know i'm i'm pro dating apps and we can save that debate for a later date but i hear from a lot of women today that they feel like they're pulling all the information out of people that they're doing all of the work and they're asking all the questions and they're doing all of the heavy lifting and so i just want to ask my audience and anyone that sent that question in to me to ask how that is reframed if you take on this position of, but I'm, but I am the buyer. I'm the buyer. So shouldn't, shouldn't I be asking a lot of the questions? 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you actually touched the third rail, which I did not, which is that, yes, the pleasing behavior uh, tends to be more common amongst females. Um, and, and that's a very normal consequence of the way we're built. Uh, men are about winning. Women are more relational. And so this will require a little bit of work to get in this mode of, no, no, I'm the buyer. And, and I value me enough already such that I don't need to prove it to him, but I do want him to show who he really is and what he's really like. And if this is a good match or not. And yeah, it's, it is obviously a two way thing. Uh, but this also feeds into uh, the, the, the next question on the list, which is what do I really want? I mean, it's number four actually, but, uh, and, and so often we get caught up in liking something and wanting something that we're like, ooh, 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 I will do whatever it takes to get this guy or girl, right? And we don't realize that sometimes the worst possible outcome is to get that guy or girl, right? And, and what happens when you get in that wanting mode is that your discernment goes out the window because you're so busy trying to get that you forget to be discerning. You forget to actually test drive the car, kick its tires, check the trunk, see if it works, right? Because um, when you're selling, you, you can only sell. You're not, you're not being the one who's doing the evaluation, being discerning. So uh, it's so important to maintain that frame, even if you're used to doing it the other way. Yeah. And I, I talk a lot about screening, like the, as part of my dating flow, like how you are, how are you even determining if somebody is, I mean, I, I hate to use the word worthy because I think everyone has inherent worth, Right. but you know, how, how are you determining if it is worth your time to give that right. away to this, this seller, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and, and the term that I, I, I also had an issue with the whole idea of worthy and not worthy is like, well, you're, you know, you're the goddess of the universe. You should get somebody who's you're deserving of, but it's really about fit. It's all about fit. Right. Uh, everybody's got some kind of intrinsic worth. And the idea is, are you too a fit? And you can't find that out unless you're asking the right questions, getting the right information. Um, and sometimes that information is like super duper simple. And you just have to ask I me. Mean, um, you you have no idea. You probably do have an idea. How many times people have written me saying, "Oh yeah, I went out with this guy and it was great. We had we you know we hit off, we made out, all this other stuff happened, and then I find out his divorce is not finalized." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> or he's basically still married, or basically he's not single. So you have a right and a duty to find out this like essential stuff. Like, is this guy single and available? Um, and all the other stuff. Is this guy a heroin dealer? Uh, so all the important stuff and in the process, it also gives you more power and uh, makes you more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. And it gets the wind at your back when you are like, I have a mission, like I know what I want. And now I have, I can get clarity on how to go out and get that. But your, your third question which we yes. sort of we we skipped over, but I think it's really important, Doc, Dr. Victor. Oh yeah, I really am concerned about safety for particularly for women, and I think it's really important for men to make women feel 
safe? So I love that yes. your third question is, am I safe psychologically and physically? I think safety, especially in the internet age, is so important. And I don't know who it was, I think it was Joyce Carol Oates or maybe Mark. It was Margaret Atwood. She said, uh, the worst thing that can happen to a guy on a date is he can get laughed at. The worst thing that can happen to a woman on a date is she can get killed. These are different kind of concerns, levels of concern. So it's so important to know who you're dealing with and to vet uh, these people beforehand, which is why I recommend that you go out with people who are somehow already within your social circle. So the idea of being networked in. So somebody who you know from work, somebody you know from school, somebody you know from the gym, or at least a friend of a friend who allows the introduction, because then there's more accountability. And it's less likely that these guys will end up being like the Tinder swindler. I mean, now everybody's seen that movie. It's like, oh, is that, how is that even possible? And I talk to people about that movie and they say, oh, well, those, those women were just dumb. They had to come in. No, no, these are like really intelligent, highly prof professional, highly accomplished women. The message there is if they can be fooled, anybody can be fooled. So, um, and so it's super important to just be that discerning buyer, right? And just make sure you, you do your, I call it dude diligence. Uh, before you actually spend time one-on-one -on -one with somebody. Um, so that's physical safety. And I think most people appreciate that that's important. The The second part, though, is the psychological safety. And I think that's that's just as important because, look, the whole point of getting together with someone and having a relationship is to be catalyst or mutual flourishing, right? We all have a gift to give in this world. So you want to be with people who allow you to give that gift even more. And We've all been around people that you just feel like a better version of yourself when that person's in the room. It's like, oh, you're more open, you're funnier, you're more spontaneous, you're kinder. And then there's other people and you immediately start to feel like, oh, wow, I just got snarkier and meaner and kind of dismissive and sarcastic. What the hell? And people bring out these various aspects of ourselves. So that's how you know whether this person is good for you or not. If they bring out the better version of you, then boom, lock that one down. The person who makes you feel small, the person who restricts your range of motion, the person who saps away your energy is not the person who's going to be able to catalyze your giving of your gift to the world. So hang out around the people who make you feel like your more expansive self. And you know what you don't need in this world? More people diminishing your light. Mm -hmm. So find the people who amplify your light and allow you to be your best self and get out of just leave the rest behind. Yeah. Got to go back to the question one. <laughs> am I, am I enough? So before we go, just one little, just get, let's give everybody a tease. Cause I want everyone to actually go through this experience with you and read the book, the five hidden love questions and find these radically simple strategies to date smarter, own their power and flourish. Um, the question of who am I really? How do we get to that? Do we no. have to go through? We have to go through the fire, right? We have to go through those other four <laughs> questions before we can really answer that last one, don't we? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been studying Buddhism, Taoism, um, various forms of Eastern mysticism uh, for the past 20 some years. And this who am I question comes up a lot. And that answer informs everything else that you do really because you can think well you know i'm this bundle of names and titles you know friend uh sister mother employee boss um all these labels uh good enough not good enough 
Or maybe there's something a little more magnificent about the whole idea that we're here. So I, I take people through nine different stories of you. Like, who are you really? Where did you come from? And one of them is that, look, you were one cell. One cell. That became 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, 1024, all the way to 37 trillion. That's a lot of cells, right? 535 congressmen can't get along. 37 trillion cells of yours somehow get along. And here you are crossing streets successfully, uh, filling out forms. I mean, it's amazing, right? And the idea is to bring the sense of wonder and, and real gratitude to this precious incarnation, as the Buddhists call it, because it's pretty rare. And when you come with that sense of sacredness and appreciation for who you are, that's something that can radiate outwards. And you can also start to recognize, oh, that person who's standing there, it's true of them too. So that's kind of the who you really are. Uh, and if people uh, think of themselves more in that way, I have a sense that who knows, their relationships may shift. Oh my gosh, that is such a perfect note to end on. Dr. Victor Frank, I can tell that you are a happiness engineer because I already feel happier, more uh, more alive, more part of the the, the universe, the universal oneness. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Victor. Be sure to pick up your copy of The Five Hidden Love Questions, Radically Simple Strategies to Date Smarter, Own Your Power, and Flourish. It's on Amazon right now. And you can find the resources to accompany the book at daoofdating.com slash resources. Again, that's T-A-O-O-F-D-A-T-I-N-G dot com slash resources. We'll put those links in the show notes. And now for your love lesson of the week. Don't worry, I'll keep it simple. With everything happening in the world and everything happening in your life right now, it's easy to get overwhelmed. So I will leave you with one simple last question. What can you do next? Not how can you meet your soulmate? How can you create peace in the world? How can you revolutionize your community? Simply, what's the one thing that you have the time, resources, tools, and inspiration to do next? And a series of nexts will design your life. But I encourage you to start small and start simple today. Did you love episode 479 of Dates and Mates as much as I did? Tell us about it. Help us get the word out. Share this episode with a friend who needs a little more happiness and simplicity in their life. And maybe even leave us a five-star review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. We would love to hear what you're enjoying about the new season and what you want to see more of in our upcoming episodes. The DMs are open at Damona Hoffman on X, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can leave me a voicemail or text at 424-246-6255. And here's the cool thing coming up. Some of you know I'm a big Halloween enthusiast. And so we are doing our big Halloween special next week. It's actually on on Halloween. So it makes it an extra special special. And we'll be talking about ghosting, ghoulish behavior, and suspicious situations. So if you have a dating horror story or a ghosting tale to tell, please send me a DM. I would love to include the best stories and share my tips for how to navigate past them and how to avoid the same shocking situations in next week's episode. If you have a dating horror story or a ghosting tale to tell, please 
send me a DM. I'd love to include the best stories and offer my tips on how you can survive the next Tinder thriller when it shows up in your life. Until next week, I simply wish you happy dating.